Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Today's Bible reading comes to us from 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 17 to 19, and can be found on page 829 in the Church Bible. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Um, Heavenly Father, we, uh, we just thank you so much that we get the joy of being here this morning. Um, we thank you for that because there is a reality, Lord, that many of us have come here on the back of pretty wild and crazy weeks. Um, it, it was we're feeling tired to our bones or weary or apathetic or um, we're just here, Lord. And, and it's a joy and a privilege to be in a place where we can hear the living God speak to us. And so, Father, we pray that as we gather this morning that you would do that your word would do to us what it needs to do. We pray, Father, that for those of us who need comforting, God, may you comfort us. And for those who need challenging, we pray that you would challenge us. And we pray that as we open your word, that your spirit would work powerfully in this. In Jesus' name, amen. The desire for more money is a dangerous thing. And I think we know that. You know, if you look around, we know this experience. You don't have to look that far. In fact, there was a story in the last couple of weeks of a guy in the UK who stole a ute, took an angle grinder to a factory, stole thousands of dollars worth of product, and now faces 18 months of jail time because of this. We see this sort of stuff all the time. Only this particular story, we don't see this particular story all the time, because if you missed it, this was the story. Um, he, he actually stole thousands of dollars worth of Cadbury cream eggs. Um, no joke, he stole 200,000 Cadbury cream eggs, which is crazy, right? And, and you kind of look at this story and you think, what causes someone to do something like this? Now, the chocolate lovers among us are kind of like, well, the chocolate, right? That's what, that's what causes someone to do this. But let's think about this. So 200,000 Cadbury cream eggs, 12-month use-by date, if, you know, roughly that's the case, he would have to eat 580 Cadbury cream eggs a day which is about 580 Cadbury cream eggs too many a day because they're no good, right? I get the hype at Easter time, but they're just not that good. So why does someone do something like this? It's for the money, right? The desire for more money causes people to do crazy, weird, dangerous things. And again, we know this sort of thing. I mean, you think about it, the stuff that happens in the news all the time from corruption in politics to billionaires buying uh, social media companies and changing Twitter logos to X's just you know, because he can, to Mr. Beast driving trains into holes for no real reason. We know that this happens all the time. The desire for more money is dangerous, and it can cause people to do weird and crazy things. And so what we want to think about um, is we just want to kind of ask a question. In a world where money is everywhere, we want to ask the question, how do we have a healthy relationship with money? 
How do we make sure um, that we have a good relationship with money that's not going to lead us to stealing hundreds of thousands of cream eggs or driving trains into holes? How do we have a relationship with money that's actually going to help us flourish and lead to life and be good for us the way that we think about money? Well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to think about this. Um, If you've got your Bibles there, we're going to look at this as we open up this uh, passage in 1 Timothy. Um, And we're in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And what we're going to see in this passage is we're going to see four things. God's going to speak to us, I think, and help us see four things to do with the relationship we have with money. And the first is, in the opening verses there, is that we've got to see the challenge that money brings. Okay, so let's have a look at this in verse 17. It says this, Command those who are rich... In the present world, not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides with uh, us with everything for our enjoyment. So how do we have a healthy relationship with money? Well, it begins by seeing the challenge that money brings. And the challenge is essentially this. Money is a good gift, but a terrible God. That's the challenge, and we live on the knife edge between these two things, where if we're not careful, we're going to get cut. And so we've got to think about this. It's a good gift, but a terrible God. Now, let's set the context here, because it is important. 1 Timothy is a letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, a pastor, to a church in Ephesus. And so what that means is this is a real church in a real time and place in history, full of real people, men and women, uh, Jews and Gentiles, and of course, rich and poor. And he begins here in verse 17 by saying, okay, let's speak to the rich. Command those who are rich, he says. Now, uh, we've got to know where we fit in the story here. You know, like we've got, to, we've got to just make sure we know where we fit in the story because I know the temptation is to think, oh, cool, this is for someone else. You know, because I'm not feeling rich, so the rich better listen up among us because this is to them. But if that is you, and if that's the temptation, um, the challenge is that uh, the reality is, if you live in Australia, you are rich. Uh, we are among the rich, and that's not true just globally, that's true historically. Uh, I mean, have a look at this uh, chart. If you can read that, the blue bit there says 53%, and uh, 53% of the world earn less than $10,000. Now, that's US dollars, so $14,000 Australian. But what that basically means is you can nearly be on the base center link here in Australia and still be among the top 50 wealthiest people in the world. Living in Australia means by default we are rich, whether we feel rich or not. And it's not just globally, it's historically as well. You know, um, my nan was a little bit of a hoarder. And the reason for that uh, was, well, you know, she said was because she grew up in a time where she didn't have anything. Have you heard those stories of uh, of people, you know, you think of the Great Depression and eras where they just didn't have anything. I mean, it's not just globally right now, it's historically as well. Here in Australia in 2023, we are among the rich, whether we feel like it or not, which means we need to listen. We need to take note here of what's about to be said, because Paul says, command those who are rich. And what's he going to say to those who are rich? Well, he says, don't put your hope, don't be arrogant or put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God. And essentially, he's saying here, you've got to see the challenge when it comes to money. And the challenge is this, it's a good gift, but a terrible God. It's a good gift and a terrible God. So it is a good gift. Money is a good gift. Okay, now, I don't need to labor this point this morning. We all know that. Yes, we know money is good, right? Let's not deny it. We're not going to pretend like money is not good. Money is good. It buys all sorts of good stuff. 
um, and you just go to Garden City and everything, every store will tell you that uh, it's good. And it's, it's true, it is good. And, um, and the truth is God made it so that it's good. It is a good gift. I mean, you think about it, right? right? Like the, the world is not just one color. And food does not all just taste the same. And holidays are not just going from the exact same location to the exact same location in a different place. Uh, God has made the world beautifully and creatively. and, And the truth is money allows us to experience that stuff. So money is good, right? We know that, okay? We know that money is good. However, here's the challenge. It's a terrible God. So what do we mean by that? What do we mean by the fact that money is a terrible God? Well, uh, I know that if you asked your friends, who do they believe in? No one's saying money, right? We don't actually think as money as a God, but it's possible to treat money as if it is a God. And so how do we do that? Well, you think of it like a savior, okay? So think about what's a savior do in your life? A savior is someone who saves you and rescues you. A savior is the one you put your hope in, your trust in. A savior is the one who's going to bring you joy and peace. And when you think about those aspects of a savior, well, it's not hard to realize that we can treat money as if it's our savior. You know, if I just have some more money, I'm going to be happy. More money is going to deliver me and satisfy me and bring me joy and peace. And, and money is going to be the, the God that kind of allows me to live the life I want to live and flourish. We know that people can treat money as a, as a God. We can treat money as if it's a God. But the problem is, money is a terrible God. And why is it a terrible God? Well, he says it there, it's because it's uncertain. It's uncertain. And so what that means is money will let you down because of the reality that money is uncertain. Now, now again, I think we know this. We didn't need God to tell us this this morning. We know that wealth and money is uncertain. We see this kind of thing all the time, all around us when it comes to money. And I think uh, the extreme of this illustrated um, is what happened with NFTs a couple years ago. So if you don't know what an NFT is, it stands for non-fungible token. If you don't know what that means, it's okay. No one really does know what that means. Um, but an NFT essentially is this. You can buy a JPEG, a picture of something online, and then hold it and it you know, would go up in money or whatever. Um, but it's a, a, volatile, uh, a volatile thing. In fact, in 2021, so the, almost the peak of, um, of COVID when we were like locked down and all that stuff, and I think our brains were going a bit strange, someone bought an NFT of the first tweet. And here it is. Here's the NFT there. Don't stress. I took a screenshot of that. I didn't, I didn't buy that. I'll sell you the screenshot if you want it. Um, but someone bought that for $2.9 million in 2021. Now, it's worth $4. You can nearly get a coffee for the amount that you could buy that with. And I, I'd probably buy the coffee over that. Wealth is uncertain, and this illustrates it, right, at, at, it, at its extreme, but I think we all know that this is just an illustration that uh, is also true for all of money, you know. Actually, actually, all of wealth is uncertain, not just the most volatile things. All money is uncertain, and, and we know that. So you can have a great job, and the next day it can be gone. You can wake up one morning and your investments are halved in your sleep. You can own a home and think that's going really well, and then they increase the interest rates 12 times in 12 months. Your landlord can make your rent double, and you're getting the same house for double the money. 
We see this stuff all of the time. Or if it's not that, you might be think you're really good at managing your money. You know, you can put your car in for a service thinking it's going to be $170 and it's $1,700. We've had that experience. Your hot water system can break. These, these things happen all around us. You can buy stuff and it breaks or it gets lost. We actually know that money is uncertain. And what Paul says here is, since it's uncertain, it's a terrible God. It will lead to despair. It will let you down. Now, we need to listen to this. We need to hear this right now. And we need to hear this right now because of the climate we're in. You know, we've already heard that a little bit this morning. But um, the, the climate we're in is kind of illustrating the point that wealth is uncertain. In fact, um, NAB Economics said that 43% of Australians are feeling financial hardship. That's up from 29% last year. So that's four out of 10 of us this morning are feeling the weight of this. And the truth is financial hardship, when you put your hope in it, leads to despair. And the statistics show this as well. So there was research done in 2008 in the recession in America that said uh, during that recession, excessive drinking went up during the financial crisis. There was another paper that said in 2001 to 2010, in homes where there was financial crisis and financial difficulties and hardship, that abuse levels rose. We know that when you put your hope in wealth, and since wealth is uncertain, we know that it leads to despair. We see this stuff all the time. And what Paul is saying here is you've got to see this. You've got to see this reality that you can't put your hope in wealth because it is uncertain. It's a terrible God. Now, this is the challenge. The challenge is this. We live in, on the knife edge. We live in the world where we've got both of those things. It's a good gift, and it's a terrible God. See, if it was just a good gift, wouldn't it be easier? Because we could just enjoy it. Or if it was just a terrible God, it would be easy too because we could just avoid it. But instead, we live in the middle on this knife edge where it's both of those things at the same time. So how do we navigate the challenge? Well, Paul says, don't put your hope in wealth, which is uncertain. Put your hope in God and then enjoy the gifts. Put your hope in the one who's certain and sure. Put your hope in Jesus. And this is so beautiful because when you see this and you contrast Jesus to money, again, it helps us see the beauty of our God, right? So if money will let you down, if money is uncertain, if money it doesn't bring you joy and peace, if you can't put your hope in money, if money causes you anxiety and stress, do you see that Jesus does the opposite? Jesus is sure and secure. Jesus brings you lasting joy and peace. Jesus is the one you can put your hope in. That you're not going to wake up one morning and the riches we've received in Jesus have been halved in our sleep. Jesus is just the best. And we can put our hope in him. And that's because of what we saw last week. That Jesus, although he was rich, became poor so that by his poverty you could become rich. You see, when we think about Jesus in light of money, it helps us see how good Jesus is. And when we're living on this knife edge, we put our hope in Jesus, we give our heart to Jesus, and then we enjoy the gift. That's how we navigate these waters. But, but as we're thinking about it, as we're thinking about our relationship with money, we have to see the challenge. We have to recognize this. We live in a world where it is, at the same time, a good gift and a terrible God. 
Now, now that's the first thing we see in this passage. But as we keep reading, we see the second thing. So the first point Paul's making here is see the challenge. The second one is we've got to know the danger. Okay, so let's keep reading and let's see what we're talking about here from verse 18. So he says this, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that's truly life. So the, the second thing we've got to see here is we've got to know the danger. Now, I know these verses are hugely positive, and we'll get there in a moment. But essentially what he's saying is when you give, you are helping yourself for eternal life. So there's a, there's a reality there, right? And we'll get to that in a moment. But the question before we get there is this. So if giving helps us for eternal life, then, then what if I don't give? What's the danger if I hold on to my money and I don't give it away? Well, this is where we've got to understand the context a little bit. And this is not the first time um, Paul's spoken about the rich. So we get this from a little bit earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And again, have a look at this in your Bibles. Because earlier he speaks about the danger of money. And we've got to know this to see what happens if we don't give it away. Okay, so verse 6 to 7 and 8, it's talking about contentment uh, with godliness. And it's a beautiful thing, contentment. But we're going to zoom into verse 9 here. And as we read this, notice the repeated language. Notice the repeated themes and notice how serious this sort of stuff is when we think about money, okay? Uh, verse 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You feel the weight of what he's just said there? Right, that, that's big language. Temptation, trap, foolish, harmful desires plunge people into ruin and destruction. It's the root of all kinds of evil. People have wandered from their faith. They pierce themselves with many griefs. We can't just see the challenge. We have to know the danger here of what he's speaking about. There is a lot on the line when it comes to money and, how, and our relationship with money. And, and I think the word that captures this perhaps the best is, is the word trap there. Because trap implies something. And, and it implies that someone has set it. And it implies that there is a, a thing that it's leading to. So who's setting the trap is the question. Well, who's setting the trap? Paul has used this elsewhere where he speaks of trap, is Satan. So Satan has set the trap. Satan, Paul's saying here, is using the desire to be rich or to have a little more. Satan's using that trap to get us somewhere. Now, I, I think this is kind of interesting because Satan is called the deceiver in the Bible. The, he's crafty. He's a liar. And Satan wants us to give up on following God. But he's too crafty to get us to do that. So, so Satan's not going to say to you, hey, give up on the eternal riches that you have in Jesus for hell. Satan's not going to say, give up on Jesus who's good and gracious and kind for Satan. Instead, what Satan is going to do is he's going to tempt us, trap us to give up on the goodness of Jesus for something that looks enticing. And we know this is how traps work. You know, this is a, a little bit random, but a friend of mine has recently been getting into trapping Indian minor birds. Okay, now I know that's random, 
But um, around the place, there's those minor birds, and then there's Indian minor birds. If you don't know what an Indian minor bird is, it looks like the bird with a hood on. And the council's official position is kind of kill them. And so what you can do, so the point of that is they're introduced species, they're bad for the ecosystem, all that sort of stuff. But um, what you can do is you can go to your council and you can get a trap. And this is the trap for Indian minor birds, right? It's a cage that leads to a box. And what you do is you set seed out, out like out of the cage, and then a little more into the cage, a little more, a little more, until eventually, so the bird flies down, starts eating the seed, and then eventually the bird gets to the box. And then when the bird gets to the box, you release some gas, and then the bird dies. Council's official position, not for me, but maybe you can get into that. Now, now let's think about this, right? Real obvious question here. How do you get an Indian minor bird into the box? You don't hold the box up to the trees and say, hey, come and die. You put something enticing down. Now, what God is saying here is that Satan is using the desire for a little more money as a trap, as something that's going to entice us. And, and Satan's not going to tempt us to give up on God for hell. Instead, he's going to entice us with something that's a little more. A little more money, a little more prosperity, a little more blessing, a little bit more bottom line until eventually we are stuck. Now again, we know this. You look around, we see this all the time. I mean, the, the, our mate from the UK, he didn't just do that by accident. He wanted more and it probably started with just the desire for a little bit more. Or we see it elsewhere as well. I mean, one of the, you know, the news stories going around at the moment is, is to do with Andrew Tate. And if you haven't seen this stuff, Andrew Tate's a guy in Romania at the minute who's um, under house arrest for human trafficking. And there's a lot of stuff online about this and, and so much stuff online is conflicting and all that sort of stuff. But recently in the last few weeks, the most damning evidence against Andrew Tate was what he said on podcasts and, and videos. Now, um, trigger warning here, if you are going to look this stuff up, because it is grim and horrific what he's done. But essentially, he said in different podcasts and videos um, over the years, he said that what he does is he abuses, manipulates, and traps women for a business that makes him more money. And what's the bottom line? More money. The love of money is truly the root of all kinds of evil, and we know this. We see this all around us. Satan uses the desire for a little bit more to get people to do all sorts of crazy things. But, of course, we need to be aware this isn't just for people out there. This is for us, right? Like Satan wants us to give up on God but he's not going to tempt us with hell. He's going to tempt us with a little more. And it's not, it's not always with breaking the law. Sometimes it's just with doing things that pull us away from God. You know, I think Satan tempts us with working jobs where we've got to hustle and work such long hours that we don't have the capacity or time for people in our life. I think Satan tempts us to work jobs that mean we can't connect with God's people or serve, or grow. Satan tempts us with jobs that pull us away from gathering with God's people. 
Satan would love you to be rich beyond your wildest dreams if it meant you weren't connected to a church. This is what he does. This is what Paul's saying here. A little more, a little more, a little more until you're stuck. Now, I just want to say, I know that at times we've got to work jobs out of necessity. Okay? And I get that right now particularly. However, sometimes we land where we land not out of necessity, but out of the desire for a little more. And so we've we got to see this. We've got to see the danger. We've got to know the danger. The, the desire for more money is not a neutral thing. Satan is enticing us. And so we see the challenge. It's a good gift, but a terrible God. We know the danger. Satan's using this as a trap. So what do we do about this? Well, let's get to the third point in this passage. The third point in this passage, as we see the weight of this, is we safeguard our hearts. So let's have a look at how, how that happens. Let's have a look at verse 18 and 19 again. And now with the context of, of 6 to 10, now it, it fills out a little bit more. We'll read it again. He says, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that's truly life. So, so what he's saying here is, when you see the challenge, and when you know the danger, there is something that you can do here to safeguard your heart. And, and so what can we do to protect ourselves? What can we do to safeguard our hearts? Well, he says, essentially, there's two things there in verse 18. Uh, command them to be good, uh, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. It's got to do with our time and our treasure to be rich in good deeds and good with our riches. Okay, so let's start with time. I love that he starts with time. Command them to be good, he says. So what he's saying here is that your actions serving the Lord are not in vain. They're actually something that you do that protects you from the world that we live in. And I love that he's speaking about time here. Because time is something that, that puts all of us on the same page. You know, like whether you've got a lot or a little, we all have the same amount of time. I mean, I mean, like we know that, right? Like no one woke up this morning with 30 hours in our day. We've all got 24 hours. And, and what he's saying here is he's speaking about being generous with our time. And he's saying when we're, when we're good with our, uh, when we're rich in good deeds, when we actually use our actions to serve the Lord, it's a way to protect ourselves in a world where we live in this challenge and where Satan's around us. Now, this is a deep encouragement. Isn't it? It's a deep encouragement for us to keep serving the Lord. Because sometimes, you know, we, we can feel, and you know, whether it's officially serving God here at Providence and serving on a team, or whether it's um, loving your colleagues and serving Jesus in that way, or whether, you know, you're a mum or a dad and, and it's serving Jesus in your home and, and, and you're exhausted in the middle of all that. Um, it's a deep encouragement here to keep going in the middle of it. Because when we serve Jesus, it's not just a, again, it's not a neutral task. It's actually good for our heart and good for our soul. We're safeguarding ourselves in the world. And so I just want to give you that encouragement. If you're weary and tired and exhausted, keep serving Jesus. Be rich in good deeds. But of course, it's not just rich in good deeds. It's good with our riches. And this is what he's speaking about here. Command them to be generous and willing to share. Because when we're good with our riches, it safeguards our heart. Now, this is profound here. Because essentially what he's saying here is, if you can see the challenge, it's a good gift, but terrible God. If you can know the danger that Satan's using this as a trap, you want to do something about that? You want to protect yourself in the middle of that? You know one way you can do that? Give your money away. 
Now, how does giving our money away safeguard our heart? That's the question, if, if that's really what happens. How does it safeguard our heart to give our money away? Well, when we give, what's happening is something internally in our heart. When we give, we're actually saying something to ourselves. You know, when, when you give, the, the process internally, whether we're aware of this or not, but what happens is we're preaching a message to our heart. You know, we, you know this series is called Heart Shaped Generosity, and we've talked about the fact that giving comes out of our heart. The truth is giving also goes back into our heart. And what I mean by that is this. We're saying something to ourselves. So when I give, I'm saying to myself, money is just a gift. When I give, I'm saying this is not my God. When I give, I'm saying, I'm not going to be enticed by Satan. When I give, I'm saying, I follow Jesus and I'm going to do what Jesus says. When we give then, we are safeguarding our hearts. We are protecting our hearts. Giving comes out of our hearts, but it also goes back into our hearts. This is what we've got to see, right? Like if we see the challenge and know the danger, we've got to safeguard our hearts. And Paul says we do this with our time and we do this with our treasure. So see the challenge, know the danger, safeguard our, safeguard our hearts. There's one more thing in this passage we've got to see here. And it's kind of highlighted in verse 19. When we give, we grow. So let's think about this, right? After all we've seen so far, then let's have a look at verse 19. So he's saying, you know, be rich in good deeds, generous, willing to share. Verse 19, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that's truly life. Now, this is a fascinating idea here, right? So he's saying when you give, you're laying up for yourself a, a firm foundation, treasures in heaven so that you can take hold of life that's truly life. What's that? What is that? That's maturity. That's growth, right? Because we are growing in the likeness of Jesus so that we can see Jesus face to face. So what he's saying here is essentially when you give, you actually grow. Now, again, I think this is transformative. This has a profound impact because I know the reality when it comes to giving, we always think through the questions and we're going to get here in a moment, but we think through the questions, who do I give to? How much do I give? When do I give? Those are the, you know, we think details, right? But do you know what he's saying here? He's saying this changes the equation for us. And so the question is not just all of the detail. The question begins with, well, do I want to grow? Right? Like, I mean, think about this. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to grow in your resilience? Do you want to grow in your dependence on Jesus? Do you want to take hold of the life that's truly life? Or what about if we put it like this? Are you feeling stagnant in your faith? Are you feeling apathetic to God and his kingdom? One answer to those questions is give. Because when you give, you grow you're setting up for yourself a firm foundation for the life so that you can take hold of the life that's truly life. That changes things. Because I want all that. I want to grow in my faith. I want to take hold of the life that's truly life. I want to see Jesus face to face. And so therefore I give. Now again, you see how it works, right? Heart-shaped generosity. It comes out of our heart. But the truth is when we're generous, it goes back into our heart and changes us and grows us. So we see the challenge, good gift, terrible God. We live on this knife edge. We know the danger. Satan's using the desire for more money as a trap. We safeguard our hearts with our time and our treasure, and we give to grow. Now, as we see this stuff from this passage, then the question is, okay, so let's, let's think about the details, 
right? So, so what we're going to do today is we are actually gonna, just going to go to some practical stuff because um, I'm only here for one week out of your three-week series. And to be honest, it's been like five years since I've been here anyway. So if you don't like any of this stuff that I'm about to say, I won't see you for five years. We'll forget about it anyway. Um, so there's some good stuff there. But I just thought it's... It's moments like this we want to take the opportunity to think about some practical stuff. So let's make sure we've got the grounding, the passage, all that stuff, right? The motivation, that stuff. But let's think about some practical stuff. This is four things over the years that people have uh, said to me that we found helpful when it comes to giving. Okay, so the first one, who do you give to? Right, that's a question. Who do we give to? If giving safeguards their heart, all that sort of stuff, who do we give to? Well, um, in our house, our conviction is we give to our local church. Okay, so we give to Southside um, because we look at our church as my church, which means it's, it's my mission, it's my community, it's my building, it's my budget, and so I'm giving because I, I belong there. Someone once said to me, um, people will give to all sorts of charities, but only the local church will give to the local church. There's some truth to that, right? Like, no one else is given to Providence no one else is given a south side. It's on us. And so that's, that's our conviction. However, if you're here this morning and, you know, may, maybe you're not a part of Providence or maybe you've been at a church in the past where you're burnt on the, all this. I get the money can create all sorts of pain. And if you're sitting there and you think, wow, this is an elaborate way to get our money. If you're sitting there feeling that, give somewhere else. Right? Like, just give somewhere else. Because do you, see the, do you see the stuff we're talking about? It's too dangerous not to give. It's too dangerous to, to live on this knife edge and think, well, we're just going to do it, right? No, no. If, if you feel like this is just because I'm here and whatever else, and this is just another pastor asking for you money, give somewhere else. Because we, we actually care too much about your hearts for you not to do that based on me. However, in our home, our conviction is to give to our local church. Okay, so, so that's where we start. Who do we give to? Um, second question, how often do we give? Right, that's a question. How often do we give? Um, uh, I know, right, the challenge is so often we forget. I know that. I've been there as well over the years. You know, you hear a giving talk and maybe, what, we're three weeks in? Maybe it's been three weeks and you keep thinking, I probably should sort something out. Um, the question, though, is, I think, we, we want to ask is how often do we give? For us, again, in our home, our conviction is when we get, we give. When we get, we give. Um, because the challenge and the temptation of all that stuff that we've seen doesn't just come at the end of the financial year. No, every single payday... The temptation I have is, man, if we didn't give, right? I feel that. We would have so much more money if we didn't have to give. Or, or this week would be so much easier if we didn't do that. So, so our, our conviction is then, when we get, we give. Because we want to safeguard our heart in the middle of all that. We, we want to fight against that. We want to make sure that we can make good decisions to grow in the middle of those temptations. And so that's, that's our conviction. Um, on payday, we make sure that we, we do that. That's fortnightly for us, uh, and that is a good way to speak to our heart. You know, consistency is good for your heart. You notice that? Like the, the more regularly, I mean, your money's coming in, right? So consistency when it comes to giving is good for your heart. Now, consistency is good for your church as well. I just want to say this, right? Like your committee of management who manages your budget, consistency is good for them. I mean, if you've never thought about this, think about how you would do your life if you didn't know when money was coming in. Right? Like if you didn't know that when your work was going to pay you or how much your work was going to pay you, how would you go at managing a budget in your home? 
It'd be nearly impossible, right? Brothers, sisters, this is what we ask our com to do. But that, that is, because they don't know. And sometimes we're not consistent in that. Consistency is good for our committee of management. But uh, to be very clear about this, consistency is also good for our hearts. Because we live in a world where we constantly get and, and we've got to fight against that. Okay, so who do we give to? How often do we give? Third question that we've got to think about is how much do we give? Now, last week, in last week's passage, um, we saw this. It's about how much you've been given, not compared to someone else. Okay, so we've got to think about that. It's not about how much does one person give compared to the next person. It's about how much does one person give compared to what they've been given. And so in our home, we work off percentages because that's helpful for us. Regardless of how much we get, we work off percentages. And for us, our starting point is 10%. Now, the reason for that is, in the Old Testament, um, there was a tithing principle of 10%. Now, the Jews would often give more than 10%. Some people have argued that it got up to 25%. Um, the principle in the New Testament is not, you must give 10%. The principle in the New Testament, we saw it today, is generosity. So as we think generosity, you've got to think, okay, where do we start with the numbers and all that sort of stuff? So for us, the starting point is 10%. Now, over the years, um, we've given more than 10%. And I don't think looking back now, it was generous because of the time of life that we were in. However, there have been other seasons of our life where we've given just 10%, and that has been generous. So this is why the principle of generosity is helpful. Now, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, so we wanna, you want to make sure that we give, and, but 10% might sound like too much. Um, you know what the, the principle that, that I've found helpful over the years is start with 5%. Or just start with a number. Be convicted about a number and just do that consistently. And, and over time, if you can, continue to challenge yourself and grow yourself and think about what generosity looks like in that space. Um, but 10% is where we start. Now, again, this is not about me. This is about our convictions of what we've seen earlier. But you, you do have to think about numbers at some point. And so percentage is helpful for us to think about what we've been given and giving based off that. Uh, last one, as we think about this, fourth practical tip is just start somewhere. Really, it's, it, it really is simple. Um, start somewhere. You know, if, if you're sitting there and this is the third week and you think, I really should think about this, just start somewhere. Anywhere that we start is a good place to start because of what we've seen in this passage. The, the reality that we live in a world where we are rich, money is all around us. We live on this knife edge. Satan wants to tempt us to give up on Jesus. We just got to start somewhere. There's a command from our Lord Jesus. Command them, he says, to be rich in good deeds and good with our riches. So as we think about this and as we finish this series, let's just start somewhere. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, that there are passages in the Bible where ancient wisdom is once again still present for this current day. God, we, we want to praise you for the riches that we've been given in Christ. We want to thank you that though he was rich, he became poor, so that by his poverty we could become rich. Father, with all this in mind, living in a world where money is all around us, we pray that you would give us your grace, that you would help us to navigate these waters, to see this challenge, to know this danger, and to do something about this for the sake of our souls and for the sake of eternity. Lord, we long to see you face to face. And so help us run the race until we see you face to face. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.